all you cool cats and kittens know it's not Carol Baskins, but it is yours truly, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show. So, speaking of cool cats, before we get started with today's episode, I have to tell you about our fantastic new sponsor. That's right, you know him, you love him. It is our friends over at the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, the Lions of Liberty is the greatest libertarian variety show on earth, featuring three unique shows with three unique hosts. Their flagship show on Mondays is hosted by a friend of our show, Mark Clare, featuring interviews with leaders in the libertarian movement, roundtable discussions, debates, and more. More recently, Mark's been focusing on personal development and self-growth, featuring some familiar names like, I don't know, Jason Stapleton or Gary Collins. Wednesdays feature Electric Liberty Land, a weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty, hosted by the hilarious and acerbic Brian McWilliams. And on Friday, we have Felony Friday, which is a weekly look at the broken criminal justice system, hosted by John Odermatt, featuring inspiring stories from those who've overcome incredible injustice and adversity. So, head over to your favorite podcast catcher and hit that subscribe button to Lions of Liberty, and then let Mark and the rest of the pride know that Brian Nichols here at the Brian Nichols Show set you. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes, like, homeless people that believe in Bigfoot? <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. It's Friday, and you know what that means. Yes, it's Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. And you are in store for, yes, our flagship podcast here on Fridays. And this week, I am joined by Bradley Thomas. You know him from EraseTheState.com. I'm sure you know him from other published works. Uh, He's very well known over at Mises.org, LibertarianInstitute.org, and Fee.org, and has been on podcasts all over the libertarian podcasting sphere. Uh, and today, he joins the show because uh, he's speaking about why, uh, you know, right now, there's been this misconception that uh, just because we uh, we libertarians, we, we don't like uh, the government uh, in, in the way, in, in the different areas in the market, it doesn't mean we don't want these various uh, means being accomplished or, or services being done. So, uh, you know, really, Bradley joins the show today to kind of dispel some common misconceptions, uh, but also to do- talk about his his site, obviously, EraseTheState.com, and more. So that being said, on to the show, Bradley Thomas here on The Brian Nichols Show. How you doing, Brian? So good to speak with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So glad to have you on, Bradley. Thank you so much for taking some time out of our very busy schedules, it seems like. You know, despite the COVID-19 lockdowns and just the world seemingly going on pause, I find myself, I don't know about you, I find myself busier than ever. Um, and just to, uh, to, to, I think, sometimes take a little bit of time and slow down. And actually have uh, some fun conversations with some folks, such as yourself, is always nice. So uh, with that being said, Bradley, thank you for joining the show. Let's kind of do a quick summary. Now, you are, are well uh, noted in libertarian politics, uh, obviously the creator of EraseTheState.com, but also you're, you're well noted as you're a published author in a uh, majority of sites like Mises.org, uh, libertarian, uh, LibertarianInstitute.org, excuse me, and Fee.org. And you've also just recently uh, got a, a new book, an ebook, Tweeting Liberty, Libertarian Tweets to Smash Status and socialists. So let's kind of start off, uh, you know, let's maybe explain your pathway, if you will, to liberty and kind of what puts you in the pathway to uh, where you're you're doing the activism you're doing today. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's such a great question. Uh, you know, in, in my younger days, if you will, uh, you know, my, my background, I guess, would be probably kind of a traditional conservative, uh, you know, kind of limited government kind of background. And then just as I, as I evolved and started thinking, processing in my mind, you know, why 
why do we think, you know, we want government to be limited? You start then processing, well, because government infringes on our rights. And then you start, you know, from there, you start thinking about, well, what's, you know, one of the greatest infringements on our rights is taxation, which funds the whole apparatus itself. So you start asking some of these difficult questions about, well, you know, about the moral legitimacy of the state itself. Uh, and then that's when you start coming across the Rothbards of the world. And, and of course, uh, economics is, is Mises and <laughs> the slippery uh, rabbit hole that it is. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I do have a background in economics. Um, so that's really kind of where I was coming from. So over the last, um, probably in the last decade or so, I've really kind of transitioned to more libertarian, even anarcho-capitalist over the last handful of years. And, um, couple of years ago. So that led me to, um, and I've been writing about these issues for several years, but a couple of years ago, I started the uh, the website Erase the State, as you mentioned, um, started uh, just sending in uh, articles, contributing to Mises.org, LibertarianInstitute.org, uh, organizations like that. And it's just, it's just kind of a passion project for me, really, just really trying to communicate the ideas. And, and you know, when you, when you discover these ideas, you get really excited about them. And, and also I get angry, like, why was I never exposed to these before? You know, I had to kind of dig for some of this stuff. Right. Um, yeah. And so, and so I want to share, uh, you know, some of the stuff that I learned on, on this, uh, you know, pathway and want to share it with others and, and hopefully try to convince others to, to come around to this way of thinking as well. Absolutely. And I think right now during, um, you know, 2020 is kind of like a perfect opportunity, I think, for the message of liberty to really resonate with a lot of people because they're starting to see the value firsthand in, in their own lives, right? And and I've always been a proponent, right? Go local. Because when you go local and you start talking about local issues, um, that that's winning issues because that's something that's going to impact you directly. And I'm like, okay, what's going to impact you more? Your vote for school board or your vote for um, you know president? Your vote for school board. Um, who's going to matter more? Your vote for city council or your vote for U.S. Senate? Your vote for city council. So at the end of the day, people are more concerned about the roads getting fixed or the, you know, their garbage and trash and stuff getting picked up on time versus, you know, these, these grand you know, debates on the national stage. So I, I think, you know, right now with all that's happening with the COVID-19 lockdowns, your average person, they're starting to see from, you know, a, a very, you know, fundamental uh, basis where you have, it's sad, but the more left-leaning states, they were faring far worse than the, the states that kind of embrace more of a free market approach and, and, and really a, a mark, just a true market response. You know, let the, the, the virus come in, let the people act in a rational type of manner, you know, make your own risk assessments. And it, I mean, states like South Dakota, not only did they not see the economic hardships that the other states have seen that predominantly in the left, but they didn't, uh, they, they, they're booming right now. They actually are, are better off than they were when the, the COVID lockdown started. So, how how do we maybe take um you know where right now I think there's a golden opportunity to to reach a very non-libertarian audience and convey a message of liberty to to people who should be right now open and ready for that message. Yeah, I mean, what a great exercise in federalism, right? You know, contrasting the different states and how they handled this uh, whole pandemic situation, uh, and, and from there, you know, we can we can preach decentralization because you know getting to the final state that we would want to achieve, you know, through through a free society uh, and individual liberty uh, to get there. I think there's several stages of decentralization that are really critical that we need to get to. So, you know, we can start and, and capitalize on this. You know, let's decentralize decision making from Washington, D.C. and down to the states and then from the states down to more locally, as you were talking about earlier. Uh, so I think this is a great opportunity to say, hey, listen, you know, if you're upset with what your governor did, 
uh, during the whole lockdown and the pandemic and everything, you know, look at other states. And so now, um, now imagine if it was down even more to the local level, to 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 uh, counties and then municipalities, where uh, uh, we have the freedom to set our our rules more locally, and how much more free we would be then, how much more easier it would be then if our community is is making rules that we don't agree with that are infringing on our, our our freedoms you know we don't have far to go to another town that's maybe you know 10 minutes away or something uh um rather than this big monolith uh uh you know leviathan coming from dc telling 330 million people how to live their lives which exactly. makes escape very very difficult let's decentralize localize as much as of these decisions as possible because then escape is that much easier where you can go and choose where you want your family to live, what kind of rules uh, you want to uh, live in and based on the, the um, you know, how the community organizes itself. Yeah. And you can actually see almost right. The, uh, the level of just disdain towards like the ruling class, if you will, as you go up that level of federalism. So I'll give you a perfect example, right? Um, if you were to look at DC by and large, I would say DC is probably looked at negatively by what 90% of South America, just by and large. But then you, you go to like, you know, my home state up in, in New York, right? If you are from upstate New York, you hate, loathe downstate New York because because you, you feel that your entire state is now represented by quite literally, you know, geographically, a sliver of the state. Now, granted, it's it's you know a, a large portion of the population, but New York State, it's a very large state. I mean, I, I worked on a congressional campaign in 2012, and the congressional di uh, district is 17,000 square miles. Uh, and, and it's one district. It's huge. And, and you know, we had to drive all over that. And, and people don't realize how much land is up there beyond just the confines of New York City, Westchester, and Long Island. Um, so I would say that going to your point, right, Bradley, going more towards that federalist approach, I think that would actually even help quell some of the uh, the resentment that we're seeing because I just know that that disdain that I see from folks in upstate New York versus you know down towards um, you know the capital region and then into the uh, the city like I I know it's real and I I know that that sentiment is entirely due to the fact that they just don't feel that they have a voice so if you go back and you start to rein you know some of the control back towards that the authority of the localities. I mean, then people will say like, yeah, I actually, my, my, my voice does matter. And then it would actually kind of prove the merits of, of our argument. No? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, why are we forcing people in upstate New York to live by the rules and, and preferences of people in, in downstate, you know, New York City? Why? Same token, why are we forcing people in, say, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana to live by rules of San Francisco and New York and, and uh, East Coast progressives? Um, you know, that's that's where the tension comes. That's where all this societal tension comes is where people are jockeying for uh, uh, leveraging uh, uh, power to impose their rules and their way of life over others. I mean, the, the simplest way to think of it, I mean, live and let live. I mean, as long as folks aren't bothering you, you know, let's make great neighbors by, uh, you know, we can segregate ourselves uh, by our political ideology, by how we want to live our lives. And, you know, one community can live their lives one way, another community can choose to live another way, and they make great neighbors, they trade with each other, but they don't have all this conflict because they're trying to impose their rules on each other. Well, let's even like take it a step further, right? If if we were to really go to a true ANCAP society, because here I, I, I totally get the argument, right? Like if you were to say to your average person, like, listen, let's get rid of government because 
we just think government is bad at doing pretty much anything it does. And, and let's, you know, at the very least, let people take the money they'd be spending towards government and then decide in their own lo- localities what to do with that money. Because like the, the argument that, that the left would make, you know, oh, do you want to see your infrastructure just go away and crumble? It's like, do you think that like Walmart and Amazon are going to let the infrastructure crumble so they can't get their goods to people? Like, that's not going to happen. Um, and, and I think we would even you know, be able to see a more flourishing you know society because now that would inqu- it would require cooperation right you would you would not be able to use force i mean god government this the idea of a, a government body controlling a group of people just because they live in a certain area is so archaic and like we've seen our society advance you know leaps and bounds just in the past 20 years right since the year 2000 to where we are today where are we going to be 10 years from now and to think that we're still governing ourselves or ruling ourselves as a society by this you know quite literally like you know biblical type of mentality it's it's it it is quite astonishing and it is kind of backwards yeah absolutely i mean we we saw i think it was last week or so and i tweeted about this you know elon musk was introducing like artificial intelligence that that uh, can collaborate with the the brain of a living creature but yet people still think that we won't be able to build roads you know without some centralized top-down authority barking orders (laughs) about this you know here's where you put the flat surface uh, it, it's absolutely amazing, and and it's these progressives that position position themselves as being the smart, enlightened ones when they try to lecture you about you know who will build the roads, who will educate the children, and all this. It, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, so, you know, self rule and and spontaneous order can create things that we can't even imagine right now. I mean, who's to say that roads is even going to be how we how we travel? In the future, you know, we can't exactly. really predict. Um, we can't necessarily predict the patterns that are going to emerge in a fully free society. But what we can talk about is just the moral superiority, right, of people ruling and governing themselves versus being ruled by force from above. So let's um let's kind of be dispel some externality uh, arguments, right? Because I always hear this. You know, we we in a society we need to have government because without government. There are going to be people who are going to harm other people. And I think I think it's fair to to accept that argument that yes, there are going to be bad people who are going to do bad things. But I think that that argument is so one-sided because it is through the lens of you know the government being the arbiter of, of good and bad. So what would be the I guess the, the market response to externalities as it would pertain to dealing with someone who would try to cause harm on uh someone else or unintentionally uh, causing harm in the terms of something like an externalities, be it financially or, you know, like sewage in a, in a, uh, a well, something along those lines. Right. Absolutely. I, like, like the classic discussion of externalities, most of the, which that can be rectified with ensuring proper property rights. Right. If you have a third party that's being harmed by an exchange, you know, if they're uh, pollution or, or garbage in, in wildfires, like that. hint, hint. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great job. The government's doing managing that, um, uh, you know, perfect case in point. So, uh, you know, well-established property rights can then uh, um, you can proceed from there in assessing who's being damaged, you know, by these externalities. And then you can hold the proper people accountable. Um, and then just in terms of uh, generating uh, a justice system, if you will, without a state, uh, you know, and, and Rothbard is really strong on this, you know, we, 
we trust the market process to generate so many of our goods and services. And, and we trust that it's going to produce these goods and services at a, a, a greater quality at a more affordable price uh, in, in you know, so many aspects of our lives. Why not injustice as well? In, in, in security and a justice system, you know, arbitrators, private security, things of that nature. Um, so just kind of putting that in that perspective. And, and again, the ingenuity that can be unleashed by creative people and entrepreneurs in the marketplace, they can come up with ways of, of protecting property, of, of securing our rights, of, of arbitrating disputes in ways we haven't even dreamt of yet. That is going to be far more efficient than, than a bunch of bureaucrats in Washington could ever come up with. Well, and it speaks to why I want so many more voices in the greater liberty movement. And I hate the idea of one part of that movement telling the other group that you're doing something wrong. Like, no, we need more voices to the table because here's the sad truth, right? One perfect person's voice is not going to be resonating to every single member of every single audience. It just doesn't happen that way. You can be the best speaker in the world and it just, it doesn't happen. So what we need is to have people who are presenting, you know, presenting the facts, presenting the, the argument, presenting the case in many different ways to reach those people where they're at. And, and to your point, right, we, if, if we're not going to, to try and approach these conversations from a real human perspective, then we're just going to be falling on deaf ears. And I think you, you, you were talking about the justice system. System, right. And that's something that I think is on the top of a lot of people's head right now, because obviously, you know, it started with the, the George Floyd murder back in in what was it? June, May, May, I think I, I forget COVID time. Honestly, like I <laughs> I, I still think it is St. Patrick's Day. Um, I, 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 when I went to my office like back in May. I was like, oh, yeah. It's St. Patrick's Day because I haven't changed my calendar in, in months. Um, yeah, it's more like Groundhog Day, you know, the movie. <laughs> it still is. We're, we're what, what day? How many days now to, to slow the spread? It feels like. Um, right. So let's let's kind of talk about the uh, the criminal justice system as it would pertain to getting government out of uh, the, the system. And, and I, I think it was uh, Peter Quinones who, who coined the term the the maybe he he just popularized the term the monopoly on violence. Right. That's that's really what the state has. When you're talking about the the, the current uh, you know policing and then justice system, so how would the market respond to that? Because I think maybe that middle ground between where we currently are and what our libertarian idea is is where we lose some folks. So how would we br uh, bridge that gap some? Yeah, well, I think a couple things that we need to address. You know, whenever I I'm often confronted by the question, well, if if it's a private, if, if it's all privatized, right? If security and everything and policing is all privatized, you know, the poor won't be able to afford defense. And so you're leaving the poor, they're going to be defenseless. Well, then your question is, well, compared to what? Compared to what we have now? You know, how safe are people in the poor communities right now? Same thing for the justice system. I mean, it's no secret that that wealthy people have all sorts of advantages uh, when, when they're in the court system. Uh, so, you know, that that's the first thing to challenge folks on, you know, compared when, when they try to question what your uh, system would look like and how it would achieve justice and security, ask them, well, compared to what? Compared to what we see now, how is it any it's worse? so important. And, and, and then, of course, again, you know, you get back to the entrepreneurship, the ingenuity, uh, the innovation that, that can come about when these markets are freed. And, and people, again, they can come up with concepts and everything that, that we have yet to even conceive of right now that are going to be far more... Um, uh, far more efficient, far more affordable for more people, far more fair. And plus you have the incentive if you have, for example, if you have private securities, um, compare 
what they would have, they would have an incentive to take care of their clients because they're at risk because of competition to lose their clients. Uh, what do government police departments don't face that same kind of competition? So there's less concern, uh, obviously, with uh, uh, with a high level of care. Um, I think that that can be we can attribute that a little bit to to a lot of this um, uh, police abuse that we've seen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then and then of course when when we see cases of police abuse, it's basically, you know, government, um, government court systems are, are trying to adjudicate government employees and the police. And, and, you know, they're, they're not really going to police themselves. We can't really trust that very well for them to police themselves and the back that bad actors in the police department. But when yep. consumers have that kind of power over private security, uh, then that starts to change the incentive structure quite a bit. So I think that's yes. another thing to raise, an important point to raise with folks. Yes. So my day job, right? I am the uh, director of sales for a telecom company here on the East Coast. And one of the things that we, we've uh, been focusing on recently has been that of cybersecurity. Um, cybersecurity, business continuity. One of the things that we discuss quite a bit is third-party validation, right? And the importance of third-party validation because I mean, why would you trust your, you know, it, it, it would, it'd be like trying to, to trust, uh, I'm trying to think of even a good analogy here, but like you, you wouldn't want to just put your, all your, your faith and trust into one basket. Right. And in this case, like, let's say you had a, a major service provider or a managed service provider, an MSP that you're working with, and they do all your security services for you. Um, they can say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've tested it a million times. We, it, it's all good to go. And like, let's just say maybe they tested wrong, right? And that's why you do a third-party validation. It's to, to basically be fact checkers, right? To make sure in that audit, when ta- you know it's you know the stuff hits the fan, that you you've done everything you were supposed to do on your end. And and to your point, Bradley, like there there is no incentive structure in place for government to have that third-party validation because who do they report to? They report to themselves, and and they get funded by taxpayer by force. And, and it's enforced by themselves because they have the guns. So it's it's like there is no incentive structure for the government to do better. And I think it's great when, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my friends from the left because I can use the argument of, well, listen, can we agree? Like, you know, let's just go to the old um, belief that's presented that monopolies are bad, right? Let's just let's just start from that mindset. Government is the ultimate bad monopoly because it quite literally has no competition besides other other governments, and that just makes it bad for everybody else because now you're just using everybody else's labor and resources to fight against everybody else. So, I mean, just by that very logic, how how can somebody on the left say monopolies are bad but then support government? And I, I guess my biggest challenge has been how do we make that argument to someone who has been so positioned and conditioned throughout their entire lives that government is the arbiter of good, that that when you look at government, government is doing things on behalf of the, the people, it's doing things for the people, um, not in, in, you know, in spite of the people and it's actually going to harm the people. Yeah. Well, f- first off, you know, in order for the government to do anything for certain people, they have to do something to other people, right? <laughs> and that's tax them, that's violate their, violate their rights, take their property by threat of force. So, you know, the very funding mechanism uh, that that feeds this government is immoral. That that we would certainly argue. You know, it's not fair. It's immoral. And then getting back to policing, you know, funding the police. You know, we look a lot of these local police and how the majority of police interactions are are with people that are not really aggressing against anybody else. You know, the kind of victimless crimes, if you will. And exactly. and. And yeah, and, and so police go out, they, they issue citations and tickets for people who aren't otherwise really bothering anybody else. And that becomes a method for them to collect more revenue. So 
again, the perverse incentives for the police is to go and rather than protect their consumers, you know, the public is to actually go and harass the public. So they, cause that's how they get the revenue. It's perverse incentives. It's quite literally exactly. opposite what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. So it turns it flips it right on the head rather than, you know, in a market, it would be consumers. They need to earn the consumers dollars voluntarily by providing quality service. So I guess we're we're at this point now in society where people are kind of looking at all that's happening and we're we're seeing this argument that libertarians been promoting forever. That is one of spontaneous order. It's kind of just like taking hold right now. I mean, I'm seeing an uptick in in people looking for for bandwidth because now people are, they're having to support so many workers from home because they're like oh like this kind of works like they're they're going to start scaling down their companies you know they might have one HQ but it's going to be a, a fifth of the size maybe they'll have a couple servers on prem that they'll have you know some big fiber pipes too but other than that you know they're going to have a lot of workers working from home because they can avoid that added infrastructure uh, costs for you know having the the fixed costs that are associated with you know the the leasing and the the elect- electric and so forth so they can cut their costs they can keep their operating expenses otherwise pretty consistent and they can continue to, to you know keep their margins relatively okay and, and deal with what's been going on with covid so we're seeing the market respond schooling we're seeing you know there's a big push right now towards homeschooling uh which is hilarious because you know i i see a lot of my friends in the left who are you know they're saying well we need to support public education and support the teacher strikes and i'm like the longer you support the teacher strikes the the worse you're gonna be doing for your argument people are starting to realize you know when they're watching their kids zoom classes they're like what is my kid learning um, and, and, and excuse me, like from, from what, what, prof- what was that? That teacher must said professor, but they think they're professors. Um, so I guess, you know, speaking to going forward in 2020, Bradley, obviously I want to see, you know, a, a more Liberty oriented future. Um, so I guess what's the best approach, right? How do we actually take this, this concept that we've been talking about for, you know, how many years now and actually get a public out there who, again, should be empathetic to our messaging and now actually, you know, put the, the, the wheel into motion, start to get this entire process actually started. Does it start from us taking over the political system, changing things from top down? Does it require us to do more to the approach of you're talking about a free market entrepreneurial approach? Or is it kind of just like, just let government do its thing. We know how inefficient it is and it's going to just, you know, ultimately collapse on its own. And when we're, it does collapse on its own, we need to be there and put people in positions of, of power to be able to, you know, pick up the pieces with the free market responses, thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot to unpack there. Um, but when we talk about that, I, I think it starts, the key is just education, education and persuasion, right? Uh, uh, Mises wrote about uh, the term he, he, used was the despotism of popular opinion right so we need to go out there and educate and be persuasive in our arguments not browbeating people but be persuasive and saying hey whether it's progressive conservatives whoever um say hey we might actually share a lot of the same goals you know we want better lives for our families we want uh, safer streets we want better educational opportunities for our children you know this so first you got to start by uh, you know, finding that common ground and saying, you know, our goals are the, are similar and then say, you know, and this is why I think, you know, a more free society is going to help us achieve these goals. And then you can approach it from there. Um, and, and then, you know, again, getting back to Mises, you know, he talked about, you know, regime regimes and governments that are, um, you know, they can't withstand once the popular opinion achieves a certain uh, a groundswell, um, you know, 
popular regime or regimes cannot withstand, uh, you, you know, because the people we greatly outnumber the government, obviously. Uh, so it's in it's in our hands to make the changes. And if nothing else, uh, you know, uh, we can educate enough of the population that when the government does start to, you know, more collapse, I mean, the, what is it, $30 trillion in debt we're in now, um, just the mess. And, and we're not even beginning to see the tip of the iceberg of the economic fallout of these shutdowns, by the way. Yep. Um, so the more people that we can educate, the more people we can reach. And, and when stuff does start to hit the fan even more, um, you know, people are going to say, well, oh, wait a minute, those those libertarians were on to something. You know, the government is really screwing things up. Maybe we should look to ourselves more for for entrepreneurial uh, 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 solutions and free market solutions rather than waiting for top down, you know, orders and commands from Washington, D.C. or even your state capital. And be prepared, folks, because it can happen quick. I mean, look at Venezuela. It was in less than 10 years. It, it, it really can happen that quick. So, um, you know, obviously, to your point, Bradley, it is on us to make sure that we're doing you know, what we can in trying to spread the message. And, and with that, I'd be I'd be remiss not to, to talk about the book that you just published, an ebook, Tweeting Liberty, Libertarian Tweets to Smash Status and Socialists. So you're, you're going out of your way, obviously, above and beyond to make sure that uh, you're 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 trying to reach more people. Right. And, and you're using Twitter as a medium to do that. So let's kind of quickly summarize your book so what would you say is a main takeaway and where can folks go ahead and find that if they're interested in uh in giving it a read yeah absolutely i, pre- I appreciate the opportunity to mention it uh tweetingliberty.com is where folks can find it and basically it, it's an ebook, obviously and it's just a collection of uh, hundreds of uh, my most popular tweets um and this was uh not necessarily an, an idea I, I had been contemplating but this was just something recommended by one of my followers um, you know, and it was very compliment. He was very complimentary and said, you know, you do a good job of condensing a lot of these ideas uh, into, you know, uh, short tweets, X number of characters, which is very challenging. Uh, so what I did, I'm like, OK, well, let me let me put this together and provide it as a resource for folks, because it is, it is difficult oftentimes to to have a, a quick response to something when you're challenged or or if you're trying to communicate a certain idea that can be complex. It's very difficult to condense it down into a tweet. Uh, so, you know, folks can get this ebook and look at it. It's organized into 13 different chapters. It covers a lot of different topics from socialism and Marxism to, you know, free market economics to uh, uh, identity politics and all these things. And, and, you know, I encourage people, you know, get the book and freely use these <laughs> tweets, you know, um, in your in your feed, tweet them out, use them as responses to others when you're getting in discussions, because, you know, communication is so key. And if you can, you know, use social media as a as, you know, a tool to educate people and persuade people and and uh, oftentimes, if you're in an argument, you're not necessarily persuading the person you're arguing with, but maybe persuading some folks who are observing and watching the exchange. You know, it's really important that you stay on point with your message. And and so this is just, um, you know, my my humble contribution to uh, the libertarian uh, arguments and, and social media to try to uh, make sure we're expressing our ideas in a, in a more persuasive fashion. Well, speaking of uh, your contributions, also EraseTheState.com is your website. Uh, Learn Liberty, Spread Liberty is the uh, the slogan. So with that being said, uh, Bradley, where can folks obviously go ahead and find you on social media? But with EraseTheState.com, what can they expect uh, when they go over there and where can they follow EraseTheState on uh, social media? 
Yeah, so erasethestate.com, you, you're going to find uh, tons and tons of articles up there from the last couple of years, uh, kind of a combination of commentary on current events with uh, articles just really refreshing people on the basic principles, uh, especially uh, econ Austrian economics, uh, the freedom philosophy, you know, identifying just the illegitimacy of the state and questioning state authority. So issues like that, um, uh, that I think uh, people will find really interesting and just lessons from my journey down this whole uh, libertarian ANCAP uh, hole, if you will, <laughs> on the trail. Uh, and then, of course, uh, um, on Twitter, you can find me at Bradley Thomas at Erase State. Uh, so check things out there. And um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Check out the book as well when you get a chance, tweetingliberty.com. Bradley Thomas, erasethestate.com. Thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. A blast and definitely will support you guys by putting all the plugs to uh, the links you put there in the show notes. Bradley, thank you again for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Thank you, Brian. appreciate it. Are you looking for a simpler life, real information from real people without all the BS we're bombarded with today? Well, hey, I'm Gary Collins, the host of Your Better Life podcast. Make sure to go check it out. I'm former intelligence officer, special agent, entrepreneur, and I'm here to give you the facts and give it to you straight so you can live the life you want. And make sure to check out my website, thesimplelifenow.com, where I sell all of my best-selling books, The Simple Life Series, Going Off the Grid, Living Off the Grid, and just flat out kicking some ass. Make sure to check it out, guys. All right, folks, so that's going to wrap up my conversation with Bradley Thomas from EraseTheState.com. A lot of fun and uh, definitely a, a great opportunity for us to learn more uh, about some real libertarian solutions. So do me a favor, go ahead and uh, go give Bradley's wonderful site, EraseTheState.com, a, uh, not only a, a glance, but make sure you go ahead and uh, check it out every so often. Subscribe uh, to the various offerings they have there, but also go ahead and uh, make sure you follow Bradley over on uh, Twitter. I'll include the link to all of his social media as well as EraseTheState.com, which is easy enough to cut. Come on, guys. Go ahead and follow and, and find on, on social media or, or find on uh, on the interwebs. You guys are smart, but I am that nice. I'll make sure I include the links there in the show notes. Um, and guys, with that being said, it was an absolute blast as always. Uh, a, a great week of episodes if you haven't had the chance yet. Uh, so last uh, episode here on Wednesday was my appearance over on uh, Nico and Shane's What's Happening. And then uh, back on Monday... We talked about not taking politics too seriously with Bird and Carr from Friends Against Government. So if you have not had a chance to check out those two awesome episodes, make sure you go back and check those out. But uh, otherwise, guys, do me a favor, just so you don't miss an episode going forward, head over to Apple Podcasts, number one, hit that subscribe button, and then number two, go ahead and leave us a rating and review. Five stars would be great. Take a screenshot of said review and email me, brian at briannicholsshow.com, and you will be entered into an awesome giveaway. But yes, you need to do that five-star rating and review with the screenshot email me brian at brian show.com not okay i did say by the way um apple podcast for uh, following us uh, subscribing the brian nichols show you can subscribe anywhere wherever podcast catcher you use now i'll tell you which one i use right this isn't even a, a paid endorsement this is just genuine I, i'm a big fan podcast addict um i use them i've been using them for five plus years great service so if, if you're looking for a podcast catcher, uh, I recommend Podcast Attic. Um, so otherwise, guys, follow me on social media, B. Nichols uh, Liberty, both on Twitter, Facebook, and Minds.com. Otherwise, just keep it up, guys. Uh, I've been getting great suggest uh, suggestions from you guys for, for guests coming down the pike. 
Uh, and looking ahead to next week, <laughs> we have some uh, some great returning guests, uh, some familiar faces, some familiar, uh, familiar voices. Elaine Jones, she returns to the Brian Nichols Show. Lewis Black, not the, the stand-up comedian, but this Lewis Black, he is the CEO of El Monte Industries. Uh, and we talk about China, tariffs, trade, uh, and uh, the impact the lockdowns had on now his his uh, his industry, but also you know, being an international company, um, you know, with the the global uh, supply trade change pretty much just shut down um digging more into that and, and so forth and also we might have a, a special bonus episode i actually was over on a couple podcasts um so if you want to go ahead and check them out before i, I air it here uh we have my, my appearance over on steven ignoramus's uh call me ignorant great co- uh, conversation there back a couple weeks back and then also i was on my friend uh, adam nutter's show um nerds with words it was a great opportunity to uh, support him and his venture um so i'm going to be airing one of those two not sure yet which one it's going to be so make sure you uh, you go ahead and uh, either just support them there or uh, keep uh, subscribing here to The Brian Nichols Show, and you'll see it pop up at some point in time. Uh, So, guys, with that being said, it was an absolute blast, a heck of a week. It's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Bradley Thomas from Erase the State. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.